you all think we're about to watch like an HBO show? Right? It's very good. It's a good intro. Um, well, I know I introduced myself already, but again, if you, if you came in a little bit later, I'm Reagan Gilliland, uh, pastor of adult discipleship here at Christ United. And uh, we're so excited to be kicking off a two-week series on the book of Esther right before we kick off Lent. And so just the next two weeks, we're going to be looking and moving quite quickly through this 10 chapter book. I'm going to be primarily in chapter four today, but because of that, I feel like I need to start and tell you what happens chapters one through three. So this is going to be similar to Cliff's notes, but Reagan's notes will be far more entertaining. Um, And so I'm kind of going to just introduce some characters and tell you what, what happens. So we open up in chapter one, and there's this huge banquet uh, going on, this big celebration that I'm going to have to look up my notes, that King Ahasuerus, never going to say that again in the rest of the sermon. I may just call him King A. It's a very long name. So he's having this huge um, banquet. He's, it's really the purpose to almost to show his riches, his, his wealth, and all these things. They've, they've been um, drinking and having fun just to get a, a mindset of what it looks like. There are white cotton curtains and blue hanging tied hanging inside with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rings and marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver, so probably very similar to our homes, right? We all, we've all got that. Um, and it says, drinks were served in golden goblets, similar to Love is Blind, if you're a big fan of that show. They always drink out of, I don't know why, it's their thing. Um, so there's royal wine, the drinking, there's just all this the excitement. And so it's been going on for days and days. And so the king is like, you know what I, w- I want to do next? I want to show off my queen, Queen Vashti. So I, he calls her, he has to summon her, and she refuses to come. And it kind of angers the king, um, but more so his like, council, his people around him are like, how dare she do that? So they, they get the king kind of all riled up, and they decide, you know, we should, we should have some sort of... Um, order or this rule that basically that every man should be master in his own house. Don't you just love that? So basically like a woman cannot disrespect, can't do anything. So the men, they are the head. How dare a woman? So they're like, you know what? Let's give that queen the boot. Let's find you a new queen that will be um, respectful and follow your orders. So it goes on this big um, they, they summon all the young women to come from, the, from Susa, where, where they are. And um, we're introduced in chapter 2 to Mordecai and Esther. So Mordecai was an, uh, an older cousin of Esther, and it basically took her in, um, adopted her, and cared for her, and protected her, and loved her. They, they are Jewish people. Her, her family was lost through uh, the exile and all of that, and so she's this orphan. And so Mordecai... Um, Esther, because she is a woman, uh, she is brought forth to, to the king. Um, Mordecai, we, we get an idea that he must have some kind of position because he's always very, very close to, um, to kind of to the royalty, to the, the castle and all that. And so Esther and all these, all these girls come forward and they go through this pretty intense beauty regimen. Uh, it says there is, let's see, Six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and cosmetics for women. They go through all of that before they're presented. Um, I don't even wash my face at night. And so I read this and I'm like, wow, that, that is a lot. That is a lot. So then Esther 
she is very beautiful, and she kind of wins uh, this contest, essentially. Um, not only is the king taken with her, but so are those around. They really tend to admire her. So she is declared the new queen. And Mordecai has some kind of last instructions. Don't reveal that you're Jewish. Because we are people that are often threatened. You need to keep mum about that. So she's, she's brought forth and all of that. And then Mordecai hears this plot of these uh, two of kings, the king's eunuchs that were going to plot to kill him. So Mordecai gets word. He gets the word to Esther to, to stop. So Esther obviously wins. The kind of, she's in good graces of the king. And then we're introduced to this character named Haman. And he kind of comes out of nowhere, but he is elevated to this very, very high position, higher than any other official, kind of the king's right-hand man. And uh, he declared, or the king kind of declares, like, okay, everyone has to bow to Haman. Anytime he walks in a room or anything, you have to bow to him. And Mordecai, for whatever reason, doesn't do so. And this makes Haman quite angry. And you'll find, we're going to talk about this next week, that a lot of these people are a little um, over the top, a little unhinged. They kind of are a little ridiculous with what they do. And so Haman says, all the Jews must be killed. All of them. And so he bribes the king and says, I'm going to give you all these treasures, all this money, if you allow this to happen. So 11 months from the decree, we're going to kill all the Jews. So Mordecai, obviously, is very upset by this. And that's where we find ourselves in chapter 4. So let's read Esther chapter 4. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city wailing with a loud and bitter cry. He went up the entrance to the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king's command and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend to her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone may that person live. I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. 
For if you keep silent at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. That Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my mates will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I know that was a lot of information and a lot of different characters. And I have to tell you, there's a lot of mixed reviews on the different characters in the book of Esther. Like, is the king all that bad, or is he just surrounded by people, or is he just not that bright? Is Mordecai self-seeking and maybe a little petty? Does he push Esther into something that she's not ready for? Is Esther courageous, or is she a coward? These characters are complex. We find that in one part of the story, we're rooting for them, like, yeah, and then in one, we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. We're so frustrated by them. And then other times, maybe we're simply indifferent. Well, unless you're Haman. Unequivocally, he's a horrible person, so there's no debate on that. But as we dive into chapter 4, I first wanted to look at the character of Mordecai. We know that he raised Esther as his own, so he, he loves her, he cares for her, he feels like he should protect her. And so many may think, well, Mordecai, I feel like he kind of pushed her into this. He's kind of pushing her to like do things. Maybe he has his own agenda. Maybe he's looking for his own power. We're not so sure. He certainly didn't push Esther to, to be the queen. All the girls in, in the kingdom had to go forth. So it's not like he just nominated her alone. But we know that Mordecai says, Esther, do not reveal that you're Jewish. Please, I beg you, don't reveal that because he does care for her. He wants to protect her and he knows the history of his people is not always so good. So I think he probably had a hard time letting go. I think that's when I picture this story, I I picture Mordecai constantly pacing outside the castle because he's so worried for his sweet Esther. But then Mordecai does something pretty courageous. In chapter two, when he overhears that plot that people are want to kill the king, he, he immediately gets word to Esther to stop it. And you think he did put himself at risk because he didn't know that it was just those two that wanted to do it. Maybe there was a big conspiracy going. Maybe everyone was conspiring together. And if maybe word could have got back, like Mordecai was the one that, that blew the whistle on it. So he really risked his life. But then he kind of makes a mess of things. When he doesn't bow to Haman, like this is the catalyst, catalyst moment for the whole kind of story. And as readers, part of us are thinking like, really, Mordecai, that's so petty. Just, just bow to him. Is it that big of a deal? But there's this other part of me that's like, yeah, yeah, Mordecai. You know he's not a good guy. He doesn't reser- deserve your, stre- your, your respect. Stick it to the man. Great. It's just that domino effect was not so great, because it wasn't just about him. Now it's his whole people group are at threat. This is why commentators are kind of confused or in disagreement about who Mordecai is. And then when we see him uh, grieving, he's not really repenting, but he's, you know, he's tearing his clothes, which is traditional, but there's no sort of 
real repentance. So we think, okay, where, where, how does Mordecai feel? Is he just worried about himself, just worried about Esther, or is he worried about all, everyone? But then we get to Esther. Now, when you're reading this in the year 2023, we think, man, she's moving awfully slow. She seems a little worried, but Parvis thinks, is she just worried about Mordecai? She sends close to him. She's very worried about Mordecai. Does she not realize the severity of what could happen to all the Jewish people and, yes, to herself? And it doesn't say this, but we know by this time that she's been queen for five years. Five years. And you would think, surely she's gained some sort of standing. Surely she doesn't have to mind the rules. Like all those laws and decrees, surely they don't, they don't apply to her. I mean, she's the queen, right? And then we read she hasn't been called for 30 days. She's been ignored for 30 days. And if she goes in without being called, she is killed? Seems a little unnecessary. Like, what if she accidentally is walking around and she actually steps in? She's like, oh, sorry, king, wrong door. Oh, I should be killed? Yeah, that seems fair. Okay, great. And then the whole golden scepter, if he, he extends it out, then they can live. Like, the whole thing is very bizarre as we read it in 2023. But this is the time period. These are the rules. These are the customs. And yes, to us, they seem ridiculous, but these were the real hurdles that Esther and women and people who were marginalized had to deal with at this time. And I think we can agree today that there are still so many hurdles for people to get access to authority, access to resources, to create real change but that's another sermon for another day. While Esther seems slow and hesitant, I believe she's methodical. If she goes too soon, the whole thing could be disastrous. And it isn't like she doesn't do anything. She, she sends out, hey, back, okay, get, get clarity on what's going on. She, she says, okay, gather all the Jews and fast, and, and, and I'll... I'll fast too, along with my, with my maid. So she's not totally paralyzed. It's not like she's just choosing to do nothing. She's still moving. She's still planning. Which reminds me that I think for many of us, it takes time to have courage. It takes time. We can't rush courage. Courage isn't so simple and easy. And in this story, so many people show courage other than Esther. Hathak, who was one going back and forth, could have been seen as suspicious, talking to Mordecai and then Esther. The king could have wondered, what was all that about? The Jews that gather to fast, they make themselves vulnerable. The maids that fast with Esther, they weren't Jewish, but they, they wanted to support her. And, and they didn't have to, and they could have been called out or been seen as disobeying the king. Now, if you haven't noticed, there isn't a lot of God talk in this book. In fact, God's name is, is named exactly zero times in this entire book. But I see God working because God is working through people. And so often we think, where's God? Where's God? Where is God going to intervene in this part? And God's like, you know what to do. You know what to do. For a moment, I want to go back to the character of Ashtai, <clears throat> that first queen who got the boot. See, the king summons her, and we read that because it was this long banquet that he was probably, he had been drinking a lot, was probably unruly, aggressive, not respectful. 
He had already displayed his riches, but he thinks, I want to bring my queen out because she's so beautiful. But really, what she, she was this item. She was this property to show off. And she's going to have none of it. And I kind of love that. She knew there could be consequences for refusing to not come. She could have easily been killed because clearly the king's advisors were not very balanced in their decisions. They tend to overreact. So her title and her status gets removed, which the joke's kind of on them because she didn't want to have to appear to the king, and now that she has no title, she can't. So she's like, great, see ya, peace out. But that's why she, she gambled. She took a risk. She was incredibly courageous in a time where women had no status, no rights, and no voice. She paved the way for Esther because she, Vashti, took that first step. Esther owes a great deal to her. And as we are in Black History Month, I can't help but think of our brothers and sisters who took so many risks, who risked their lives. Some lost their lives. And my goodness, the incredible courage they had. Their boldness and their witness during the civil rights movement paved the way for so much of what happens today. One person I think of uh, a lot is John Lewis, the last of the big six who passed away in 2020. He was someone who had such incredible courage his entire life. Did you know that he was only 23 when he spoke at the March on Washington? Do any of you remember what you were doing when you were 23? Anything? No, not. And in fact, I read that his remarks, they, they said, you know, you got to tone that down, John. <laughs> it's a little bit too strong. But he had such boldness. He marched in Selma, nearly dying on that bridge. He was arrested nearly 40 times in his lifetime. John Lewis has always fought for the rights of people. John Lewis did incredible things. He said so many countless remarkable things, but there's one quote from him that I've come to love that my husband and I are trying to teach our children that we love. You may know it. He said, never, ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. Good trouble takes incredible courage. And I believe is a way we live out our faith. And it's so needed in a world where people continually are cast aside, where people are marginalized and their rights are threatened. And as people who proclaim that Christ is Lord, we can't turn away from the message that we should stick up and speak out for those who have no voice. We are called to care for all people. We are called to fight for all people. We are to help all people in whatever ways in which we can. Esther sees her moment, and yes, she is Jewish, but I'd like to believe that she would do it regardless if she was Jewish herself. I think there was something within her that she knew that this poor treatment of others was wrong, and she was not afraid to get in good trouble, even to the point where she says, if I perish, I perish. She's willing to die for this cause. And so when I read stories of people like John Lewis or when I read these texts from thousands of years ago and I read about women who are bold enough and courageous enough to get in good trouble, necessary trouble, their witness inspires me to maybe be a little bit more courageous today too. To live into this call and stand against acts of injustice. 
because this is what it is. And so maybe you are Vashti who will be the first to take that risk. Maybe in some eyes you're not successful, but you are faithful in taking that initiative, taking that first step. Maybe you're like Mordecai who saw something or heard something that was wrong, and you're like, that's not right. I'm, I'm going to do something about it. Maybe you're like Hathak, who was a messenger in between, trying to get the information to those in power. Maybe you're like Esther's maids, who do not personally have a threat, but stood by a people group that were at risk. Maybe you were like the Jews that came together in an act of faith and trust and risked their lives as well. I don't know who you identify with in this story, but I know we are called to courageous work, each and every one of us, big and small. And so may you be inspired. May you be encouraged today to live as courageous people. Amen.